the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Rosenberg is an established professional in the apparel sustainability world with nearly 10 years of experience managing corporate environmental programs. Professionally, she focuses on supply chains, raw materials, and reliable data to reduce global impact in her current role in product sustainability at Gap Inc. Diana also loves building communities and practice, having helped build both a now national women in CSR networking group, as well as a regional outdoor women's group to bring people together around shared passions. Diana and I talked about so many things from how she has built the communities she wished existed to her own experience with and tips for finding mentorship and what it was like to spend a year living and working from her truck during the pandemic. She also shared her advice for navigating discouragement and ecological burnout for sustainability leaders and a reminder to check in with your friends, teammates, and colleagues. This conversation was a breath of fresh air, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Diana Rosenberg. Hi, Diana. Hi, Liz. Ah, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. I feel like we have like so many juicy things to talk about um, that are like some of my favorite podcast topics to get into. Um, but before we jump in, would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Yes, absolutely. Hi, everyone. I'm Diana Rosenberg. I work in product sustainability in the fashion and apparel world. I am, I always call myself a corporate hippie. I am very passionate about saving the world. And so I'm really excited to kind of talk about all the different ways I uh, try to do that. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, Corporate hippie is such a perfect description for... (laughs) the work that you do um, and the work I know so many women in our worlds do. Um, Well, I would love if you wouldn't mind. I mean, one of my favorite things to shine a spotlight on through the podcast is really like how people came to be in the moment where we find them today. Um, So to the extent that you want to give us like the long version, would love to hear like, how did you come to be here? And really, again, the invitation is like, take up space and tell your story. (laughs) I'd love to. I was thinking about this last night, and I think I can blame a lot of this on Fern Gully. Um, (laughs) Such a classic. (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, being a a millennial woman, we had that limited amount of VHSs at home that we watched again and again and again. And I was trying to explain to somebody. But, you know, I grew up in a family that even in the 90s, we were bringing our own bags to the grocery store and had an at-home compost, which was kind of an interesting experience. 
And so I was instilled with those values from a really young age. Um, I went to UC Santa Cruz, which is kind of ground zero for that sort of thing, and just found myself, funny enough, as a business major, trying to, um, you know, make enough money to get along. And I, I graduated into the recession from, um, from college and immediately started my own small clothing company, making and sewing clothes and selling them, um, and working on the floor in all these retail stores, just trying to make a living, but also do something I love because as much as I am a hippie, I really like clothes. And I started feeling more and more guilty about it because I started kind of growing this ecological awareness just from being at Santa Cruz and taking ecology classes. So I quit all my retail jobs and was like, I don't want to sell stuff. Um, and I don't want to make more waste in the world. I want to save the world. And so I went and became an accountant at a nonprofit conservation group and was kind of like, well, you know, they need general administrative people. I can still kind of help influence the world from this space and have a living. <laughs> um, and then when I was at that job, I quickly realized that it seemed like the scientists were having a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> as much as I love um, balancing bank accounts, I wanted to do something that felt a little bit more needy. So I applied to graduate school and went to UC Santa Barbara um, for an interdisciplinary master's in environmental science and management. And they kind of, they wanted that diversity of background. So even though I had an economics degree, they they brought me in. I had to do things like go back to community college and take gen chem because I hadn't taken it since I was a sophomore in high school and definitely wasn't paying attention. Um, and once I got there, that combination of like environmental science, like the real like deep graduate level research blew my mind with how cool the world was. Um, and I also got really lucky because it was so focused in real world applications. So I had gone into graduate school thinking I was going to do fisheries management because I was living in Santa Cruz at the time. It seemed logical. Very much day one, I had a light bulb moment when the careers team put on all the um, career pathways you could take with that degree. And I saw a bunch of major apparel companies that alumni were working at. And I just kind of had this, oh my God, moment. <clears throat> I had the background of business. I had the background of retail and making man clothes. And then I was going to become an environmental scientist. So I was like, I am the perfect person for this <laughs> industry. And that was literally day one of orientation. So I got to spend the next two years really orienting towards what person does the industry need me to be. So everything from carbon accounting to deep dives in fiber production, agricultural um, needs, um, reporting, all the, all the things. And so luckily for me, I have no idea how I got this lucky. I immediately landed a job in the industry and have been working um, with major apparel and fashion companies for the last eight years. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Um, two really fun things. I feel like I'd be remiss not to tell you. One, um, I actually feel like my first, like, I want to work on this moment was actually um, I went to UCSB for undergrad and I was in a climate change class at Bren and I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> how are more people, how's everyone not working on this? This is right. <laughs> it's so inspirational to be there and especially with the view of the beach. Totally, totally. And I also feel like similarly, it was, it wasn't my first day, but it was my first quarter of grad school. I studied international relations in San Diego. Um, but when they, when someone came in to talk about being in what was called at the time corporate social responsibility. I was like, oh my God, that, I want to do that. How do I figure out how to do that? 
then it's funny because when I went to undergrad, my plan was to join the State Department. I wanted to do international relations. And I think that's a perfect, like, vagueness to careers take such funny twists and turns as you learn more. I never knew that this was a field until somebody told me it existed. Totally. And I think so often, like, I don't know. I think like when we're younger, there's such a limited set of like options that we think of when we think of like what a job is. Teacher, doctor, firefighter. (laughs) Totally. Maybe like actress, like police officer, like accountant. (laughs) And we've been able to make so many fascinating, rewarding and challenging ways to make a living in the world and also change the world. Yeah, and there's so many, like, really, really specific opportunities to change the world. Seriously, I am, I'm so highly trained for one specific job at this point. <laughs> totally. Um, I love it. Well, and I know, like, you know, as someone who's been in, in this space for now coming up on a decade, um, I've been really inspired in seeing the ways that you have built community for women who are working in this space. Um, I know it's something that, like, even you know, when I first got started, uh, like kind of looking around, I felt like, oh my gosh, everyone I know who does this has gotten their dream job and then burned themselves out. Like it just seemed to be like weird pattern (laughs) (laughs) in my mid twenties. I was like, is this just what everyone does is like get their dream job, work in it for like anywhere from like three to seven years. And then quit and travel for a year not that there's anything wrong with that but it <laughs> it, it seemed like often there was some like laying on the floor before the travel <laughs> like, um and I feel like community has been such a, a a huge part I know for myself and for so many people I know of like how we make these careers more personally sustainable um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about like, and I actually honestly don't know this like full Genesis story, but I know you were one of the earliest um, organizers, founding members of the Women in CSR group, and would love to hear a little bit more about sort of like what sparked that. Absolutely. And I think you're you're so right. I, oh gosh, where I just start? Um, I'll, I'll preface this by being, you know, vulnerable. I struggled with friendships growing up. I grew up in the Navy and or in, as a Navy brat and just didn't know many people. So I moved a lot. And then as an adult, I continued to move a lot, but I was so used to losing the people behind me that I had to learn how to make friends fresh again. And again, my first job out of grad school, I moved to Seattle alone, having never been there before in my life. It was a crash course on how to build a community, how to reach out. And it felt like as I was kind of getting a foothold in that Uh, both social scene and corporate scene, that there were so many events and I started going to them and I started realizing I was learning fascinating things. I was meeting cool people, but I was too intimidated by most of them as a fresh grad to feel like I had the right to their time. Um, And a couple of them, you know, we'd be like, oh, let's hang out. And it seemed great. Um, But then I wouldn't really know how to follow up. And so when I moved to San Francisco for my most recent job, gosh, six and a half years ago now, I knew that community building had to be a bigger part of my life because I was just so tired of feeling like I didn't know where to turn. And gosh, thinking about the women in CSR group forming was one of the earliest social like accretions of my early San Francisco career. Um, 
And it happened through one of the women who started it, Gabby, who just, it was her idea. She basically pulled a bunch of us who'd all met at probably some corporate networking event. I don't even remember what. And all of us had been like, I wish I knew more people in the field. I wish corporate networking events were less weird. And, um, filled with people handing you their business card and immediately trotting off. So we sat down and said, what if we had a group? Because so many people in this field feel like they should be your friend. You (laughs) care about the same things. We have the same hobbies. Like we're in this because we like the planet. We want to go outside. We want to hang out. We want to strategize about what cool new thing to do at our jobs. So, you know, and I think most of the original founding members and I, forgive me everybody I'm so sorry I'm trying to remember who was in that room but I think there were like seven or eight of us at least and the funny thing is Gabby was about to move away so she's like here have this concept um and and we ran with it and we started putting together events it was so casual in the beginning you know it was like a meetup here uh, a workplace tour there maybe a happy hour and we were lucky if we got like 10 people and friendships started forming and we kept going and kept going and I, you know, I feel like I blinked and missed it. And somehow it's this like national group with more formal events and a really engaged membership. Um, and I honestly just feel really lucky to be taken along for the ride because there are people in this group that are so much more um, able to be engaged and able to to build it and push it forward. Um, I think so many of us have had our, had our lives move on or move to different places that I feel really lucky that I'm able to kind of flow in and out. There's times in my life where I've been a lot more engaged in the group. And then in the last year or so, I, you know, I moved out of the Bay area and have taken on a lot personally. I'm a little less able to be involved, but I can still just show up to the happy hours and, and see my old friends. And I've made some really good friends through the group. So nothing else. That's been pretty amazing. Totally. That's so cool. I mean, I always recommend women in CSR as like the first stop for people who are looking to connect with other women in this space. And I think it was so cool to see. I actually think my first event, if I'm I'm pretty sure, was the Galentine's Day happy hour right before the pandemic, like weeks before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then most of my like interactions with the group for the until very recently were all it was all virtual. Um And it was so cool to see like how that really like expanded, like who was able to access the group and like, you know, as people did change their life situation and moved across the country, they were able to stay connected in such a cool way. Um, But it was fun to get to be in person again recently for the first time in years. And it was like some of those same people from like Valentine's Day 2020. Mm-hmm. how has your life been for the last three years like there have been marriages <laughs> and babies and like job changes and all these things but um still such a cool community of women and I would even just pop you know pause and say like one of the coolest things I've heard other than the friendships formed and the level of support people provide each other is I've had multiple people tell me they found their current position through this group because we share jobs we recommend each other for things um you know, it's been powerful in all these different aspects of our lives. And I'm grateful for that. Totally. Same. I mean, honestly, the the very first or one of the very first virtual workshops that I got to facilitate ever, like in my coaching career was a women in CSR event. We did a wheel of life event very early in the pandemic. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a big moment for me. Um, so yeah, it's been such a, such a cool and rewarding 
group to be a part of. And I know that like from a community perspective, that's not even the only community group that you have been involved in and helped shape. Um, I know that the outdoor women's group, which I had not heard of before, is another passion of yours. Tell me all about it. Oh, gosh. I feel at this point like I might be just a serial starter of groups. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just have these conversations with friends of, I wish we had this. And um, that one was inspired by um, a woman in Seattle who I had been friends with, Megan Young, when I lived up there, where she and a bunch of her friends had started. I think it just started from like a group chat, group thread of like, let's all hang out. There's not enough women in the outdoors. And by the time I moved to Seattle and joined that group and became friends with them, there were like 2,000 members. And it's such an active place that they were hosting all these hikes and they were doing backpacks and, you know, getting people into the na- the nature, into the outdoors for the first time, but also building friendships, having someone to go back and packing with, resources you could borrow gear from. So, um Paulina and I in the Bay Area were like, let's replicate this. We wish we had this. And in the early days of that, it also felt very like exciting. We can bring in all these people. Friends were inviting friends. We were going on hikes. We were organizing groups. I made a bunch of really good friends out of that group as well. And almost, I'm a little embarrassed to say, it's like in a similar vein, over the years, I kind of started going deeper in with the friends I had. And I know that groups continued is still going and I've become less engaged in it as my life has become more and more full. And I think my biggest learning from those opportunities is start what you need and ride it until your life feels pretty full because there's other people who are going to come in and need it at that moment. Um, and it'll get them where they need it. And, you know, I've done the same thing with, um, I had a French language club when I was living in the Bay for expats and, and native uh, people working to gain fluency. And then, you know, that ended when COVID hit. And so almost that forgiveness of like, we start these groups, we have them when we need them, other people inherit them. Um, it has been pretty, pretty useful because now I live in a brand new town. I'm pretty, pretty new in Tahoe. And I'm kind of having that same moment of, oh, I think I need a group. What should I start? <laughs> Well, I love the idea of just like, especially when it comes to community, like create the thing you wish existed. And I also think it's so interesting. Um, I so appreciate the vulnerable share on like moving around and having to like make friends growing up. Um, I interviewed a, a woman, Tatiana Figueredo, on the podcast earlier this season, who's the founder of the business of community is her business. Mm-hmm. And um, she talks about how like, so much of what she learned about connection was informed by like when she moved from Brazil to New York when she was 10 and like wanted to connect with people and make friends, but like, you know, how she was like thinking about that and approaching it. And like very candidly too, I feel like when I was younger and growing up, like we moved and like, I didn't have like friends from when I was like five until I was like 25, like, you know, a couple <laughs> times right. and like, I read a lot of books. I was kind of a nerd. Like I didn't really have have that friend circle so I do also think it's like interesting and cool to observe the ways in which like those of us who like really have thought about like friendship and value friendship from that perspective have also been some of the people who've taken on the organizing aspects of relationship and community 
I think that's such a good point because, you know, even as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I've reframed what I used to always kind of feel a little ashamed about of, oh, I'm always new. I move so often. I don't know that many people. As an adult, once you start working on it, you can say, I didn't know how to make friends so well as a kid. I didn't know how to hold on to friends when I moved later. And you can turn that into a strength over time and say, well, that means I get to show up with enthusiasm. I know how to start a conversation with anybody. I, I'm not afraid of entering a room of strangers anymore. How do I turn that into something that's good for my life instead of something that's crippling? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's like that whole idea that like often like, you know, our strengths and our weaknesses are like on a spectrum. And I think so often too, like the things that were like the hardest at one moment in time, like can often be like, you know, our greatest strengths in the future as we like learned from them. Exactly. Is network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize and all you have to do is show up as yourself. We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps, PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Well, I love to hear too, like from your own perspective. I mean, one, it sounds like you've just made some like incredible friends, but I'm curious how like community has played a role in your own personal and professional development. I feel like every opportunity that's come my way has usually come because of you know the work I've put into the communities I've built. And what I also feel really excited about is being able to turn around and return that right back. I think community, when we think about it, you know, as like an interwoven tangle of all of our lives, means that you give and you take depending on what you have at the time. And so lately, I feel so nurtured by, um, you know, the ways, you know, the job I currently have, 
I know, uh, you know, I wouldn't have even thought about applying to if somebody from my graduate school hadn't said, hey, we're hiring. And it landed in my inbox. It was a total swerve from what I was doing. And I was able to make a strategic decision of like, actually, I think this will be very helpful for my long-term goals. Um, and, you know, those networking events, they can be double-edged in terms of, you know, if you know someone, you know someone, you get in somewhere and that can be very dangerous, but it can also be helpful if you also then turn around and say, I know someone, I can get you in there. Let me pass along your resume. So one of the things I've done lately as you know, I've hit a really good place in my career, I'm feeling pretty stable in my own personal communities is I've started, um, you know, I take space and make sure that I offer a few different informational interviews to friends, kids, or, you know, a stranger on LinkedIn who was bold and reached out. And then I'm able to say, okay, tell me what kind of jobs you want. I'll keep my eyes out because at this point I see a lot of jobs out there entry level or for a VP. And it's kind of this cool thing where once you start getting known for being that person who shares opportunities, I've had people reach out and say, Hey, I know you've got a network. We need this role filled. Do you know anybody? And I'm able to recommend people. And I just can't help but think of how meaningful that is to any individual's life to know that they get pushed, pushed forward and recommended and supported in that. And so I'm almost finding that these days community is even better because I feel like I get have a lot more to offer than I used to. And maybe it's a little self-serving because it makes me get to like, you know, dust off my halo, but it's really just so wonderful to have someone come back and get what they want out of life. Um, I know that we're all trying to do that for each other. So cool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I love that so much and I couldn't agree more. It's like, so fun to get to be like, well, like, let me like have an eye out or an ear out or like see how I might be able to connect dots. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think there's like a lot of work to be done in our space to like correct for the extent to which privilege has played a huge role in those like those of us who've gotten to where we are today. And so it's also like, how can we as individuals like use the privilege that we have and having like gotten to where we are to help other people who don't have connections into the space, who don't have like a father or an uncle or a aunt or like, <laughs> you know, right. yeah, a family friend to like actually get access to some of these opportunities that they might not otherwise have access to. Absolutely. I, I've had times in my career where I got the nudge from like a senior, you know, a senior person at a company of like, oh, well, I mean, you'll talk to my kid, right? I'm like, Sure, of course I will, but I bet they'll do okay. I actually once told a senior executive at a company I worked for, uh, she's like, will you talk to my daughter? She's graduating college. I talked to her daughter and encouraged her to take a year off and be a scuba instructor in Australia. So be careful what you ask for. But you know, there's also those people who are reaching out who don't have the parent to pass them along, who do really actually want and need that job. And I try to keep a special eye out for do you seem like you do need a hand up or an open door where you haven't been finding them? Um, and I think that's that's some of the benefit of like the hard conversations we've all been having about race and privilege and education and class over the last few years. It helps kind of drop those blinders and say, how are we all going to make this a more equitable world? Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Kind of in addition to like connecting dots and, you know, making introductions, 
that building mentorship and asking for support is something that's like really been helpful for you kind of both ways in your career. And I'm curious, I feel like mentorship is something that's become like weirdly, maybe not weirdly, I feel like it's become kind of like a hot topic. Totally. (laughs) So like, I'm like, oh, interesting that mentorship got so controversial, but I'm curious, like, what does mentorship mean to you? Well, it's been interesting because I think I, you know, I didn't have any mentors until the last few years, or at least not formally. And so maybe I've been benefiting from it becoming a hot topic. And, um, you know, I've worked at companies, you know, working in fashion, it is an industry that's like 74% female. And so some of the same challenges folks face, uh, you know, I'm the only non-engineer in my family. My sister's a nuclear engineer. She has is probably almost always the only uh, woman in the room she's working in. And I have a lot of friends who, who are similar careers where they, the challenges they face might come from finding a mentor they can connect with um, or finding people who are even just available. And so in this industry, you know, the idea that women are in leadership isn't questioned because of course we are. Um, But I've been really lucky that there have been programs that formally set up a mentoring relationship and that, Participating in that for the first time helped me kind of realize I need advice. I need someone who gets my job at least somewhat or gets my company and maybe doesn't get my job. And then I can, through explaining it, can help me figure out how to kind of untangle what I'm experiencing. I, so weirdly, can take things personally sometimes. (laughs) And mentorship is one of the best things I've ever experienced to pull myself backwards, take a breath and realize it's not personal. Um, and so I've been really lucky over the last few years, maybe as it's kind of become this hot new thing to develop a bigger, broader network of people, especially women in higher up positions who have the perspective I lack and who are able to help me think through career problems, um, presentations, asking for a raise, um, you know, how to balance my life and, and think about my career as a longer term perspective, as opposed to, you know, next quarter. And alongside that, you know, they challenge me. A good mentor challenges you. A good mentor doesn't, you know, rubber stamp what you're doing, but either softly introduces a new concept or sometimes tells you that maybe you are out of line or maybe your expectations need to be managed. And so, um, that's been really good because it's taught me so much more about how I'm, you know, no one's valuable and everyone at some point in their career is like, I have no idea how I got here. I think I just made a couple good decisions along the way and now they trust me. Um, I, it helps me have that perspective as I feel like I'm growing up. Um, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now and I kind of look back and I'm like, wait, wasn't I just a kid? Um, but all of a sudden I know my field and I have, um, you know, I send contracts and I, sometimes I'm surprised I got here and it's really helpful to have that person be like, we all, we all go through that experience. Um, and some of us are still trying to figure it out. And so then I'm able to turn around and do the same thing for, for everyone who's also coming up on their way. Definitely. Well, um, I so appreciate that perspective. I'll never forget like someone pretty senior back early in my career who basically told me everyone was making it up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's so helpful. If you're making it up, then everyone is definitely making it up. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm also, I wonder, um, so beyond the like formal mentorship programs that you've gotten to participate, 
in, and I ask partially because I get this question all the time and I'm always looking for like other in, insight and input in my answer. Um, like what advice would you give someone who maybe doesn't have access to a formal program, but who is like looking to build a relationship with someone who can like give them some advice? Um, and I just think about like in like lean in, uh, which is a whole separate conversation, the like, will you be my mentor chapter of like what not to do? But I'm curious, um, yeah, what wisdom you might offer in terms of building those relationships. Honestly, I've been really impressed by everyone who has, I mean, maybe they did read Lynn and has come to me and say, I really admire your career and I've heard you talk or, you know, um, I looked you up and it seems like you follow a trajectory. Will you be my mentor? And I think some of those have worked out beautifully. Like I've mentored some people for a couple of years now. I've been able to watch them and like nurture them through career changes. Um, the advice I would have is I think you get better mentorship from somebody who you get along with and vibe with and have similar values to than necessarily someone who has the job you want. I think in sustainability and especially in fashion sustainability, ooh, it's so fancy, it's so glamorous. There's a lot of people who want to get in this field. And then we start kind of having a conversation about mentoring and we realize we just don't have a ton to talk about necessarily. You know, it's not that we we don't get along, we don't click, but they, what they really were looking for was not mentorship. It was advice on how to start this career, which is just a different conversation. Maybe, maybe it's one conversation or two. Maybe it's a direction to resources where mentorship, you want someone who you trust. I look at mentorship as like a big sister situation almost big brother as well, um, where somebody's there to take your life in and give you it back through a different lens. And so when you're looking for that person, asking friends if they know anybody you could talk to, I have had people reach out cold and we had an initial, you know, have a screener conversation if they have time and be like, and I've actually offered, I'd be like, you seem great are you looking for a mentor? It seems like what you're looking for. Um, I keep slots. I have four, five max. And some people I see on a monthly cadence, some people I see on a quarterly cadence. And so one, if you're able to mentor people, like think of it a little more formally and be like, okay, I have an open slot, but yeah, keep, keep trying until you find someone who's a good fit. So like finding a therapist, right? Um, look out on LinkedIn, join networking events, um, the first few you connect with might not last very long. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It doesn't mean that they didn't have something to offer you. You know, we move on from each other sometimes. And so, and it, I also just want to suggest that they can take a lot of different forms. A mentorship relationship might look like a once a month hourly call where you talk through things. But I also have mentors who I just know are kind of like on call for me. So if I'm dealing with something or want to chew through something, I just know I can call them. And I, when I ask them for mentorship, that's what they offered me. They're like, I don't have time for a whole person relationship, but I'm always here if you really need something. So I think be flexible with what, what you have. Like I keep a list of the different people and how often I talk to them. Mm, I think that's so smart. And I also, what I would love to underline um, for people listening is that I do think like these relationships come from like repeated interactions over time, which maybe just sounds like so simple and basic. I like love Diana, how structured you are and thinking about like 
sluts and cadence, but like also (laughs) if like for people who might be feeling overwhelmed, like if you like have a conversation with someone and like, you're not sure like how to kind of like keep the relationship going from there, like asking for a follow-up conversation is like a perfect. Right. You do not have to. I like checklists. Can you tell? I'm definitely that person who keeps a notebook tracking everything. Otherwise I lose, I forget, I forget completely. I realized a couple months ago, I had somebody I was doing monthly calls with. It just fell off my calendar. I think Outlook expired them. And it took me months to realize. So like, if I don't, I will lose it. <laughs> but what you said is such a good point. And it, it's even that like friendship theory, right? You know, it takes repeated, unplanned running into people. So the same things happened throughout the industry with other folks who have the exact same career as me. We keep running into each other. So we've started, we reach out when we can and if we can. And sometimes we talk often and sometimes we don't. It doesn't have to be a big, scary thing. It can just be reaching out to someone. Absolutely. Yeah. And seeing like how things evolve naturally. Um, And, or it could also be super structured. I think that's where finding someone who like operates in a similar way to you and who you have, like who you feel like you can trust and build a relationship with is so important. Absolutely. Um, Well, shifting gears a little bit, I know that in the, in the sustainability world, um, discouragement and ecological burnout are all too often like hallmarks of our our day-to-day and of our careers. I'm curious, like how are those things that you've managed on an ongoing basis having been in this space for so long? Oh boy. Um, You know, it's interesting. I, I just sat down with somebody at my company who wanted to reach out and ask about my career. And she asked this question, And I was like, oh, how do I get here without being cynical? Because we are all a little cynical. And I think making space for that to be okay has to be okay. Um, But I'm also an optimist. I'm also pragmatic. So pulling all that together, um, I went through a really terrible period of burnout late last year when I, I felt like everything I had worked for completely didn't matter, you know? Part of this job, at least the way I, I'm operating in my company, because I manage product sustainability, brand sustainability, I'm expected to be the person who knows what's going on in the world and can kind of be that subject matter expert. I have to look at the news on climate change, biodiversity loss, everything, every day. I have to stare down the barrel of the future and try to synthesize it in a way that helps others understand it and feel like they can do something about it. And sometimes... I cry a lot. Like it's true. And I think we have to acknowledge like this is a heartbreaking place to work. And then also I reconcile that with the fact that I work for a major big corporation. Um, And that's where I think my optimism lies. And that is I have reached kind of the biggest place I know how to start creating changes. I've worked for really small little companies or uh, nonprofits with tiny little budgets. And I felt like we just weren't really getting anything done. You know, we were picking up trash on the beach, not stopping pollution at the source. So the more I try to remember that little changes where I am mean huge changes globally, like not to, you know, say that we're getting it all done, but I'll go back and look at my list of accomplishments for the year and be like, okay, I actually, we did do that. This did get done. 
that many tons of carbon were saved. And I just, the other piece I try to remember, you know, with, with climate change, like every ton counts, every degree matters. So giving up is not an option. Taking a break, resting, crying late into the night, all options. Um, <laughs> it also, for me, one of the most important things, um, I moved to South Lake Tahoe last year. And, you know, alongside being one of those people who got lucky and got to work remote and moved to a mountain town, it felt like it revived my soul because I can look out my window and see bears and coyotes and birds and just plants. I needed to be reminded what I'm doing this for. And that could also look like, like when I was living in Oakland, that could look like going for a walk in the hills. It could look like walking out of my office and looking at the the bay, remembering that we love the planet, we love everything on it, and we want to have a happy, healthy, comfortable future, like always pulls me back to the sense of purpose. Um, so I, I don't know, I think everyone does it differently. Um, but the only thing I'll, I'll say about burnout is like, look out for your friends, look out for your employees or your boss. Cause I've watched my bosses go through burnout. I've watched my coworkers go through burnout and my friends and colleagues across the industry. And I think I'd, I really kind of wish somebody had been like, you're usually really cheerful and you were actually really mean in that meeting yesterday. You sounded so frustrated. Are you okay? Um, I think that would have really helped. And so I've been trying to make a point of doing that for the people around me as well. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that so much. When I think you hit on like just some of the things that I have also experienced and observed to be so helpful, which are like going outside. (laughs) Yeah, so simple. So simple, but I do think it can just be so impactful in terms of like when we're having one of those days of feeling like it's like nothing's enough like taking a minute and like reminding ourselves of like the rhythms and flow of nature, I think can be so restorative. Um, I think taking the time to really look back at and catalog those wins that like may feel incremental in the moment. But I'm sure if you look at like some of your goals, like six years ago and like all the progress you've made since then, I feel like so often, especially in this field and with these jobs, it just, it takes, it takes longer than we're up in It always takes longer than you hope. And then one day you turn around and you're like, wow, I fought for two years to get climate change mentioned in a corporate 10K. And it's been there for three years. And actually now every company has it. Like it's, it's just so encouraging to realize that we no longer have to explain why sustainability matters. We're now just challenged to make it happen. Mm-hmm. which is a whole different problem. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And a different, it's a different job too, but <laughs> completely. Um, yeah. And I, and like, I think a job that a lot of us like who, you know, who have been in this space or have been following this space for a long time, it's like, you know, this was a place that we had hoped we would get to for such a long time. Um, and I, I, I just also appreciate the reminder to look out for your friends too. Cause I think so often we get in our own like work tunnel and, you can usually tell when someone's not themselves. Absolutely. Well, like the move away from, you know, desk life. And I know, you know, a lot of us are going back to office, which has its own mental health implications. The best and biggest lesson I had with my team 
during COVID was how important it was to check in on each other because a lot of people have talked about how they feel disconnected or they don't feel like they have a corporate culture. I made a point of reaching out to people on my team and just checking in and having those chats. I feel closer to them than I ever did when we worked in an office together. Oh, that's so great to hear. And I know, unfortunately, it's like more the exception than the rule for so many people. Um, but I, I admittedly am an extrovert. Um, this comes a little easier for me. Like I don't, (laughs) but I just know that we all feel better when we know we're connected to the people around us. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I, I want to like backtrack a little bit because I know you talked about moving to Tahoe and I, I also feel like what we haven't discussed yet is like the adventurous life that you managed to live up to the moment of moving to Tahoe which is that you spent a year in a truck while doing your corporate job. (laughs) I know that was bunkers. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, and it's funny now that I'm like a little ways out, I'm still synthesizing it, but basically, you know, COVID blew everything up. Right. Um, But I've always been, you know, that person who moves a lot. And then in, you know, the last, decade or so, you know, I've been rock climbing a lot and skiing a lot. And I had a pickup truck without had, you know, a bed and a kitchen and everything ready to go. And I used to work hard all week, commute back and forth, do all the things Friday evening, pack up my truck, go straight to Yosemite and get back like Sunday night at 11 PM, because I needed that to recharge my soul to keep doing the work. And so I was set up for it. Um, and I'd always figured I'd work my corporate job three to five years um, and then quit and then travel and climb and then maybe try to find another job. And COVID kind of gave me the option to do both, you know, with the switch to, you know, they sent us all home and told us good luck. And <laughs> we figured it out and I spent a year staying put. Um, you know, I had a whole bunch of personal stuff, you know, I had to move one week before COVID hit. I felt super displaced. I didn't have a relationship anymore. Um, I was calling it no house, no spouse, no kids, no pets. <laughs> Welp. <laughs> so I was living in a community house and they all were buying a home together and moving away from the Bay. And I didn't want to go to where they were going. I didn't want to be a part of another, another effort to build a life that didn't feel completely mine. So I kind of was like, I'm gonna let no choice be a choice. And I put, I realized I didn't have that much stuff. So I put everything in a five by 10 storage unit and my pickup truck. And I initially was gonna go for three months. Um, I did like, I started with like, you know, I'm gonna go to Arizona. I'm gonna, you know, see my grandmother for her 90th birthday in Santa Fe. I rented a little place in Colorado and, oh, a friend's going to come join me. How cool. I'll just go visit some people. Um, And then I started planning further and further out. And all of a sudden, like it'd been six months. And then I was looking at a year and everyone's like, oh, you're going to be, you're looking for what you're looking for. You don't know Mm. what you're, you're trying to find your place. I was like, no, 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 I'll be back. Uh, They were all right. I was wrong. Um, (laughs) And the lessons we all learned from working from home, I, I will say though, like, I feel, I have talked to a lot of people who are like, this won't work for me. And if you are the kind of person who like needs three monitors, it doesn't work. Um, And sometimes I really scrapped things together, but I kind of built the expectation with myself that if they're going to let me do this, I need to do it to the point where um, 
I've proven my company's faith in me true. So I worked really hard um, and I connected from all sorts of crazy places. Like I called in, you know, my turns out you can use your cell phone for just about anything, including hotspotting from a national forest. <laughs> um, and there were times I woke up at like 6 a.m. and drove two to three hours frantically looking for enough bars to get my job done. Um, and I spent, I visited friends and family and realized that I I was ready for a home of my own. So it kind of, it was in the way, like, I felt like I just jumped into the wind and let it take me wherever it was. But it looks, it looked a lot like getting your job done at home. It's just your backdrop changed every day. <laughs> but one thing I will say that I, maybe as a caveat, um, because it looks fun and super glamorous on Instagram. Sure. Yes. But it takes up so much mental bandwidth to always be figuring out where you're getting Wi-Fi. Do I have what I need? Am I going to be warm enough tonight? Um, I realized I let other things in my life slip, especially like friendships, relationships, kind of I, my, my world kind of tunnel visioned into get my job done, figure out where I'm sleeping next week. So um, it was a very unique way of doing it, but <laughs> it's super doable. And I think a lot of people would can and do enjoy doing it for, you know, a week or a month. Yeah, but I think it's it's such a great point having I also wandered in a different way but for about a year in the pandemic totally. and the amount of I like just got so tired of the time and space I was spending packing up like my office crate and <laughs> it was like I just yeah, No, absolutely. And I didn't want to sound like I was complaining to people, but I was like I I can't think about anything that's not immediately there. And you spend a lot of time, depending on how you do it, you spend a lot of time going from point A to point B, like in motion that in a day-to-day life, when you are in one place, you don't have to spend all that time getting to where you're going. (laughs) Right. And when you have to prioritize keeping your job and doing a good job at it, it means that's something you're like, you know, I would drive from like 5 p.m. to 11 to make it to my next destination, go straight to sleep. So I did some you know, people like, oh, like, how's your vacation? going? I'm like, I haven't gone anywhere yet. <laughs> I'm here, but I'm not here. So, um, I mean, there's so much good to it. I don't want to downplay how lucky I am and what a beautiful experience it is. But like, there's some realness to it, too. Yeah, I I so appreciate that. And both can be true, right? It can it can have been like an incredible opportunity and had some surprising twists. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I made beautiful friends. I lost friends because I just didn't show up because I wasn't even paying attention to other lives. And so um I just I think it's so cool that if we can do work in all these different ways, let's do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I have a few like quick hit questions I would love to ask you. I'm so curious okay. what your answers to some of these will be. Um, so I'm a sucker for an inspirational post-it. I have them like all around me as we're talking. I'm curious, like, and one day I'm hoping that we'll like print a deck of like all of our favorite inspirational post-its. <laughs> uh, do you have one that you're looking I'm at over. right now? Or, <laughs> or- I'm opening my notebook to be like, what did I tell myself? Um <laughs> I wrote this down to myself and it sounds it's so cheesy. Oh my God. Dream it, scheme it, take the right steps and ask for help. I love like, it. The four steps to doing almost anything. <laughs> exactly. Like start with a dream, flesh it out, 
get some help. <laughs> but also, I used to also say, um, oh gosh, uh, good things happen to those who plan for it and take all the right steps to make it happen. <laughs> Weirdly enough. So wild how that happens. <laughs> yeah. That's my manifesting doing it. I love it. Um, well, and so because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, my other favorite question to ask everyone who comes on is if you could change one thing about the world, what's the one thing that you would most want to change? I wish instead of environmental folks having to make the business case for why we need to do the work we do, I wish businesses and governments had to make the environmental case mm. for what why they do what they're going to do. I think that'd be just, that reframe would be so cool. Oh, I love that. I, we, no one else I don't think has said that answer before. And I would love to, I like, I feel like so much of what I've been reading lately is all about like how we imagine a better world. And like, that is part of what is going in my better world imagining. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that moment of realizing everything we do, every structure we have, in this world every law every expectation we made it up we could reframe it well someone made it up and well yes the collective <laughs> yeah humanity yeah which also means that we can make different choices exactly uh well it has been such a treat to have you on the podcast anna um for people who are listening who want like to find you, follow along. Like, is there a good place for people to keep up with you? Absolutely. I um, am quite active on LinkedIn. So if you want to get in touch with me professionally, Diana L for middle initial Rosenberg, you are able to find me there. I post jobs. I post things I'm thinking. I love meeting new people and supporting them. And then if you want to follow along personally, my adventures, if you like, outdoorsy stuff i am trouble on the rocks on instagram and also love engaging with people there i think i just like people (laughs) so come be my friend let's go for a hike or save the world together ah i love it well i'm so here for those options i would love to go on a hike uh, let's do it um thank you so much diana for coming on the show it's been so fun to have this conversation with you this has been a blast thanks liz Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.